have a really special guest today, Toya Kaplan, who runs the For the One Ministry, is our guest today, and Toya is going to share with us, that's kind of a hard topic. I mean, Johanna and I uh, asked Toya to be on the podcast because she created um, an organization that initially um, provided a safe space for survivors of sex trafficking. And that's expanded now to an awareness campaign of how to be vulnerable no more in the face of sex trafficking. It's 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 a really powerful organization and Toya's very she's she's very candid about how she came to this. She is open about the fact that she was is a survivor of sexual abuse as a child. And this is a story that, um, while I'm not grateful for the circumstances, I'm grateful for the fact that Toya is in our community, helping to change lives, helping to save lives, and helping to stop the perpetration of sexual crimes against children and adults. Please enjoy this conversation with Toya Kaplan and feel free to click on the links. There's some really important work that she's doing and we'd like to see more people get involved, get aware and just change lives in the smallest way, the way that Toya has. So I'm here today on the Life Saving Gratitude podcast with my friend, and someone I'm extremely grateful for, um, and I know lots of folks in New Mexico are, Toya Kaplan. And I'm joined by my producer and co-host, Johanna Medina. And we're just going to jump right in. Um, Toya, you and I have um, sort of an interesting background. I'm always surprised by the gifts that life gives us. I mean, you and I are both women of great faith, and I feel like God brings people into our lives exactly um, at the moment that we need to meet them. But you and I met in a little bit of an unorthodox way. I don't know if you remember this, but I showed, I think I showed you an art property a long time ago, maybe 10 or 12 years ago. I don't know. It seems like we went out one time and showed property together and then never... Um, saw each other again, and then we became neighbors. And my brother built your home here. So, um, and in all of that, so this is the part that's fascinating to me about the people that I meet. In all of that, I didn't know the part of your story that is so close to your heart, which is that you run homes, you, you own homes for, um, Johanna and I just had this conversation. We don't like the word victims, but you tell us what the best word is for people who have been experienced, um, sex trafficking. What's the word that you like to use? Survivors. We like to say survivors. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. And they were victims, but they're surviving now and even thriving is the goal. Absolutely. Right. And, and, and I had no idea. I was, you know, Clee and I, my brother Clee and I were just having a conversation at one point and he said, well, you know, Toya's doing this fundraiser or something for the homes that she runs for um, people who were 
who are now survivors of sex trafficking. And I was like, what? I mean, it's like my brain blew up. I thought, what an amazing, what an amazing thing you're doing. And I was fascinated. Um, we talk all the time about how stories save us and knowing our stories and telling our stories is so important, not just for ourselves, but for the people that we meet. And, and, and so that's, that's what we want to hear from you is what's the story? Um, you know, what's your history and how do you, how did you come to this really practical way of helping people who are survivors of sex trafficking? And then we'll go on and talk a little bit more about sex trafficking in general, but first we want to know about you. Tell us about okay. you. Okay. And I wanted to hear kind of the point of information that you have. And so that I could, and uninterrupted, so I could come back and, and say, catch you up. Because we did have a home, we and we had one, and we had it uh, in Tejeras, uh, New Mexico. And we had the house from 2015 to 2018. Um, and so that home has closed. But in order to really do justice sort of to the thread of the story, it, it's actually better for us to back up a little bit further um, I think a lot of the questions I get in these years from 2014 till now um, is what is you like, how, how did you end up where you are right now and what you're doing currently? Because we have an incredible campaign currently that God has led us to and talk about grateful. Um, I couldn't be here for a second. Had we not opened the home, gone through the training, um, the year of training, and my daughter and I, uh, my oldest daughter and I co-founded what was Freedom House when it was a home. Um, so if I, so if, if I back up to really what, what started the particular sex trafficking journey part of my life um, was that years ago, and I mean probably really at this point, 14, maybe even years ago, I found out about sex trafficking in Moldova. And I was at my sister's, they're pastors of a church in North Carolina, and a group from Moldova came over and talked to us about, well, they actually stayed at my sister's home. And these lovely, amazing young ladies, um, because they were fundraising in the United States with the organization uh, that they were traveling with, and they stayed there we took them shopping we spent time with them we heard their hearts and then at the service of course they we heard their their testimony of really rescue because uh, that group at stella's house it was the name they actually uh, went into an orphanage and they took as many young girls that were about to age out or you know would in theory age out at 18 and they every bed they had they filled with those girls and the reason why is that in Moldova one of the hugest vulner, um, vulnerabilities is when they age out and they become prey to uh, traffickers in other countries and in the Moldova itself um, so that's what their calling was Stella's house um, is they actually started taking boys eventually so it became Stella's house and so when I left there, um, I came back to Albuquerque and was so devastated. Like, it was a life-changing moment for me. I had three daughters, two birth daughters and a surrogate daughter who were around the ages of those girls. So it impacted me on that level. 
but I had to come back to a 12 hour a day job. We owned a daycare. And so I came back to run that and uh, raised my children. We ended up um, in short order. We, well, we had two boys that we got custody of. So we had five uh, up to six in the house, raising teenagers, driving, you know, all of that. So I really focused on working and doing that, but I just couldn't let go of it. I couldn't just like, I couldn't forget that, you know, sometimes you meet people or you hear a service or there's something impactful that occurs that you just can't shake. And so moving forward, that's exactly what happened to me. Um, and I didn't know other than financially how we could get behind that. I knew I couldn't travel to Moldova and be away from my family for an extensive period of time. So I just hunkered down and did what, did what God had me do, which was running this um, daycare in Kids Castle, or excuse me, Kids Castle in Albuquerque. And so I just continued on that path. And then fast forward to when my oldest daughter um, left Christ for the Nations after she graduated, she um, interned for Messenger International, which is Lisa and John Bevere's um, international ministry. And I went there um, for their fundraiser, and we were picking a sex trafficking segment. She had a Pearl Alliance at, this, at the time, which those finances that we wanted to give would impact law enforcement to help um, find traffickers and rescue these girls. And so we're like, yes, you know, as a family, so passionate about really connecting with something we felt so um, drawn towards and to help. And so I'm in line and we're walking through some of the information of uh, Messenger International. And right there, um, the pastors of Citizen Church, it's, it was Copper Point at the time, but the Woodwards were standing in line there. And um, we ended up in a conversation and they were talking about how they were going to open an outreach in Albuquerque which would be um, a, an anti-sex trafficking outreach. And I just was like, boom, somebody local. And I'm still thinking that they mean that it's going to be an outreach to um, other nations, right? Like what A21 mm -hmm. is right now, Christine Kane's outreach is an international outreach. Well, that's how I kind of stored it. And when I got back to Albuquerque, another layer of like, I can't shake it, I can't shake it. But when I went to look for it, there was never anything on their website. So I looked at actually all the larger churches, thinking Shirley Sagebrush or Calvary or, you know, one of the larger church or congregations would have an outreach for sex trafficking. And, and no one at the time did. So I called the church. And um, the woman who is now the director over at New Mexico Dream Center met with us in the coffee shop at what is now a citizen church. And two of my daughters were with me and she downloaded what's going on, not just internationally, but she drew the circle in so much tighter to what is going on in actually New Mexico. You know, so she went um, internationally, United States sex trafficking, New Mexico sex trafficking. And so she died, uh, dialed a, a tighter circle around, um, what was going on and caught me up literally like in an hour, we just sat there blinking and, and listening. And I asked her, what can we do as a family? What could we do? And I'm thinking she's going to ask us to finance something. And we're philanthropic family. We feel called to do that. We're blessed to be a blessing. And so I was waiting for the job, right. To, to put money towards what, what's her, her dream, her goal for what she sees the need is what's the gap, you know, is what I was trying to find out. And so she said, well, we need a house. <laughs> so I kind of swallowed great big 
so she said, you need a house. Mm-hmm. And you blinked. <laughs> yeah. No, well, we all just sort of took a breath. And I went into that meeting knowing that whatever God called us to do is what we were going to do. Not, And it, I didn't have to know the why. I didn't even have to know the how. I just, I was so, my heart was like, you just tell me, God, whatever it is, we're going to do that because you'll make a way. And so um, we left there. I talked to my husband. He was on board and he was actually looking online all over Albuquerque Metroplex. Would we have one in town? Would we have it out in the mountains? Anyway, I spent a year with uh, my oldest daughter uh, training and traveling. We went to organizations, uh, Wellspring Living in Atlanta. We did their, they had a big training. We went and did that and they allowed us to go see one of their homes. Uh, We went to Beautiful Dream Society in Oklahoma City twice. What an honor to get to train there and and actually spend time with their survivors, um, which was, you know, that's a huge element. You do need to, um, that's, education is great. Information is great. And, but until you learn to sit with a person or be around a person and extend your comfort level to wrap around you know, that scenario, um, that was a very powerful opportunity for us to get to the next level. Um, And we went to Arizona Dream Center, which we still partner uh, with them on a phase three level, which I can talk about in a minute. But we also went to Redeem Ministries in Houston, Texas. There's homes all over the United States. Um, And so those are the ones we were able to go to um, and as many seminars and conferences that we could get to in that year. We put the year deadline on it because I'm like, we should already, like the house is already needed. um, So we can't expand it beyond that because it needs to have been done yesterday, sort of. So that's what we did. We um, bought the property. My husband did all the research. We got 20 acres out into Harris. Uh, We opted for a hidden uh, place. And there were, there's two thoughts to locating just for your, people that are listening mm-hmm. for their information. Mm-hmm. Um, hiding in a city is much more difficult, but it's very practical for transportation. Um, we're back and forth to all kinds of medical appointments, dental. Um, they're basically on life support when you get them in the way that emotionally and a lot of uh, physical issues they're having to deal with. Um, emotional trauma is huge, but the dental issues um, because people that are have addictions frequently have poor, poor dental health, um, back and forth to court in many, many cases. And almost most, I would say there's a history of, um, arrests that are involved. What happens to these girls is that they become the patty. Like they're, they're going to be, everything falls on them. If, if a car load with their, and your community would call it pimp, we call them traffickers. If, if they're in the car with their trafficker, um, or the bottom girl, which is the lead girl of the group that's being trafficked, everything they can pile on, like the the girl that's that's the most victimized, it gets layered onto her. Or they'll send her in and have her steal at a store, or you know whatever the case is. When we got each of the girls, they had a, a lengthy, generally a lengthy arrest history. Um, so when I'm saying living in town. And being able to get to all these courts and the court dates, um, we ended up in Santa Fe with one girl. There was a trial against her trafficker. And so, you know, the back and forth to all of the preparation for that. But in the end, really choosing to be outside of Albuquerque in the most peaceful, restful um, 
where they could actually get away from the very um, feel of a big, uh, well, in a way, it's a little bit bigger city than a lot of places, was the, the direction we went in. And we believe God was able to do some amazing, if you if you two could go to that property, for example, mm-hmm. and we could feel it. As soon as we got off the highway, it was off I-40 into Harris, and you drive an additional however many miles, you could just feel a sense of peace. Um, and it was on Mercy Way was uh, we were able to name the street and um, and it was a, a room for six up to six people when we first opened it we thought that's what we might take but to be honest um, we I ended up telling art there's no way my husband art and he is our CFO to this day he's that's his part of what we do but I said we cannot cram that many girls into that house and expect any kind of success at all because they re-traumatize one another. Um, when you get them, they're learning how to sleep at night again. Um, it's, you know, everything's flipped. So um, so we did. We had that house for, for three years. And the way we got those girls was through FBI, law enforcement, CYFD, um, Berlingo County Sheriff's Office. Um, Homeland Security was a big way that um, we were given the cases for the girls and um, to show you how just one example of how really insidious this is. And um, two of the girls shared the same trafficker at one point. And one of those girls was from Seattle, Washington, and the other girl was from Albuquerque and they were trafficked through the States surrounding um, these areas. And actually that man was the one that, um, that they were trying to send to prison. They'd spent 18 months, the Homeland Security has spent 18 months getting all this intense information and, and to prove, to really build a case against him. The young lady, um, the one they ended up really, because she had the longest history with him, that went to court. And I can't tell you how emotional and stressful that was for her, how, how re-traumatizing, re-triggering it was. to be, she, she was a flight risk at one point because she said, I just don't think I can be in the same room with him. It was insane. Um, on another note, the way that is all built, it, to re, it really does um, damage the emotional health of the girls, but she got even stronger through that. The, the happy story is that she's doing better today than she, than she ever has. And we have a five-year history with her now, but they let her trafficker go. She went through all what? of that. She and two other girls sat down um, and, and the defense was because they didn't bring a specialist to talk about sex trafficking and what it is today what it looks like today it's not years ago when you had to be trafficked a certain way and you had to look out like you had to have been whatever instead of just the elements of force fraud or coercion those are the elements that they should be judging this by whether it's um you know free will basically or was there force fraud or coercion present so a specialist never got on the stand um and that's a super long story. But what happened is that his defense attorney came up and said, um, you know, is he a horrible person? You could certainly say that. You could say that. There's certainly evidence if you chose to believe that, that he was he's not a great person. Um, but is he a, a well, I think what she, her wording was, um, is he a pimp? Could you say that he's a businessman? 
And so she, the, her terminology of, of creating this um, mindset in the jurors, you know, minds, so that when they went back to deliberate, all they had was what the defense attorney said and what those three girls said. And what it turned into was a case for pimping. And instead of sex, because that was how she said it in the closing was like, but is it sex trafficking? And so, you know, the people that prosecuted him failed miserably, failed miserably by not saying what, in fact, sex trafficking is. And there are people who speak on uh, Rebecca Bender um, initiative. She actually will go into courts now and she can testify as a survivor of sex trafficking and through years of research what sex trafficking is. And that should have happened. So we re-exploited those poor girls. They've been exploited again now in a way that is so much more damaging because it's already so shame-filled um, that they got themselves into that situation um, by these people that controlled them. So anyway, I know that's a long wink to that, but you know we have to change the way things are done in court for these girls as well. Well, and you also, um, you know, when you did the Run Mama Run um, podcast and you, the two of you talked a lot about that changing the, sh the shame piece. Um, you know, that's, you know, I, I think that it's always human nature for people to look at somebody who's in a, a different situation and say, well, wouldn't happen to me. And that's, and that's, and that's not true. I mean, there's certainly, um, we have to take, like, as you said, the judgment and the shame out of the way that we treat these survivors. I mean, we really have to take it out of the way that we treat anybody, but in particular, yes. people who have been in a situation like the girls, the, the, the women, and, and I understand um, men as well um, are trafficked. I mean, that's... I mean, talk about that shame and judgment piece. I want, I want people to hear how that's got to go away. Well, and I have to, because it immediately made, immediately made me think about um, The Heart of Man is the name of the, um, the Netflix. And I don't actually even know if they're still showing it right there. But it actually does a great job of showing that really that that shame ultimately is the very thing that drives us away from the Lord um, and from our own freedom, our own recovery. And, and you can just imagine, um, and you, you kind of did a refer or a reference to Run Mama Run, um, which actually in this, it's a good segue to say that that's where I lived. That's in my own heart until I got born again at 20. I lived at such a place of just uh, shame and hurt. So, so my experience is what has driven me to this my life experience my testimony is what has brought brought me here with the understanding of um, yes shame and, and that you feel so already poorly about yourself you feel like you've caused everything that's come to you and then in many cases for these young girls and boys people in their own family aren't believing them even if they try to disclose something that's happened to them um it gets turned around on them and actually used against them. So you've got the shame. And then if, if these children go to their adult to where it's supposed to be safe, and sometimes the other adult in the scenario is the abuser. It's, I mean, there's so many levels of trauma here 
um, that these young girls and boys experience. But in, in my own life, and as I studied for that year to prepare for this, um, I actually had a degree of healing um, through that year. And I'd already been a Christian for quite a long time. But um, that's when For the One, the name For the One, got downloaded to me. So we called the house Freedom House because it was a home. But the um, what we transitioned into for our branding when the home closed is For the One. And there's been days when that one was me. You know, that that's how personal For the One has meant on so many levels. And at the house, it was for the one God sent us, for the survivor that God sent us. Um, even if it ended up being only one is the way God used it in my heart. If we only got one person that we were able to walk through with their recovery, um, because I believe that's also how God operates. And it certainly, it, it goes from one and spreads to bigger and bigger. But um, I tell people when I speak that on September 7th, 1980, I was the one. That was my biggest, I was the one that Jesus did it for the one for me that day. And so it's a very personal mantra. Um, I'm not a huge tattoo person, but I'm about to uh, get my second <laughs> one on my foot. And it will be for the one because it, that's how personal God is. And that's what we've extended to these girls. So as I was studying for that um, and preparing myself, and I look back to my own history and, and was able to hone in because we had family abuse. My mother was um, was schizophrenic, not full bipolar, but more schizophrenic. And she was a physical abuser and a verbal abuser in our home. Um, and so this, the good story is that uh, she got born again before I got born again, and she prayed me into the kingdom. So um, her, her whole job and her, her story, her legacy, everything turned uh, around. Um, talk about God using bad for good. Um, my father was an alcoholic from a very young age. His mother committed suicide when he was quite young. He was 17 and in college, and he had so much broken in, brokenness in his own life, but he was in college to become a minister. So when we follow where the enemy showed up, you know, in my own history and how that went from a dad that was called to be a minister and was derailed because of what happened when his mother committing suicide. And then he became alcoholic to medi medicate for that. And then the continued uh, generational uh, next step to my own uh, testimony, which was the four-year-old moment, which if you listen to Run, Mama, Run, mm -hmm. um, I talked about that. A next-door neighbor uh, was the first person who ever molested me. And I, I think um, even at, more... Not I'm sorry, but at four... I want four. right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And there's a picture that sits on my counter, um, and I actually use it in some of the um, when I go to do awareness and prevention um, presentations. The people don't know when I put the picture of the three little girls at Christmas up on the the screen, um, and I've had it blown up as a visual. And what I do is I talk about the three girls in that picture, and one was four, one was six, and one was eight. Uh, my oldest sister, who was eight year old. Uh, eight years old, our um, step-grandmother's um, son uh, molested her from two years and older. And the only one of the three of us who were not molested was my uh, middle sister, Tava, who is the pastor's wife of the church in North Carolina. Anyway, the example is, and they think I'm talking about the survivors that we've worked with, uh, you know, over the years. And I said, so the four, year, the little girl that's four here and the little girl that's eight here, you know, they went on to use drugs and um, 
and we're so, so vulnerable through like the days that those things entered in. And you listen to Run Mama Run, the example I use is like a, a Giardia where it actually almost as if it enters your 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 gut but it's really uh, it's your soul I believe that that enters into at such a young age and that was pivotal for me I can trace really I, I think abuse and alcoholism in itself would have been a rough life it would have been my normal but 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 adding that layer of sexual abuse to my little young life at the time um, is really where I trace back what what triggered the level of alcohol and drug abuse that I started when I was 11. Um, so, you know, from 11 to 20, you know, I was pretty crazy. And my sister, my oldest sister, Tina, she started using drugs when she was 12. So, you know, back then they were dropping acid and, you know, whatever. But uh, we were the people that if um, I know she was raped a couple of times herself, um, I was date drugged in four different scenarios. You're just not like, it's almost as if you have a target on your back. And so if you fast forward to what we learned about um, these young girls that we worked with, these young women, is that um, you're vulnerable because this thing has started all those years back, wherever it started. And so to give you a statistically, I think it's important for us to look at that for a minute. Um, some statistics mm -hmm. say that one in four girls some and say one in seven boys. Um, I don't believe one in four because when I was in high school, I lived in a children's home in New Orleans. And that high school said back then, I'm 61. So back then the high school said that uh, one in four girls. I don't believe that for a minute. I'm just in, I talked to so many women, so many girls, so many victims. And I would say at the very least, it's one in three have sexual abuse in their past from um, right. from when they were younger. Um, mm -hmm. And then compare that to what we find with these survivors. And it's 3.9 out of every four. So 3.9 out of every four. And I went to New Mexico Dream Center to, to ask her, you know, what do you think you're seeing there? And that was exactly what her comment was. That's what we're seeing too. So, so so you're saying that 3.9 out of four survivors of sex trafficking were abused. Yes. Sexually, sexually. abused. I just, Correct. I want, yeah, I want to be really, I want to be clear to the people who are hearing this because I've heard you say these numbers before and it's, and it, and it kind of blows your brain up when I'm, and right. you, you've, you have talked a lot of your vulnerable, no more campaign. I think really, uh, um, I mean, it feels to me like that address is something, you know, it's helping those, those sexual abuse victims figure out how to not, how not to be vulnerable to trafficking, right? Or, or just vulnerable in general. Right. And that's what we came to as we were closing um, Freedom House. And we saw two different things. One is, and, and we worked our existing survivors that were phase three. So phase one is the rescue when they're getting out of that life, when they're uh, detoxing, getting off drugs, whatever it is they have an addiction to. That's phase one uh, with our program. Phase two was like, what would you like to be? Can you imagine yourself in school? Do you need to get your um, high school diploma? What do we need to work with you on to get you 
forward moving towards your future. Phase three was when they're ready to move out and be, um, I say God dependent, but independent and live with a roommate or live by themselves. That's phase three. So our girls that were in the house were phase three already. Um, and when we sat down with their counselor and explained that we were closing the house and we would, um, here's how we were going to be doing that. Um, they were like, we should have never thought we could do this. Uh, we can't do this on our own. And that was our moment to say, you will never be alone. I mean, we have been, you know, you're stuck with us. It's basically what we told them. But that became what our um, one segment of what we do is, is our phase three partnership. We collaborate with other organizations who um, have either residential programs or non-residential programs where they continue to work with survivors. But a lot of the money goes to law enforcement rescue and then um, that first however many months or years where they're healing. And so many people, and this is important for your listeners to understand, they think that like once they've gone through that program, they're good to go. And I tell groups of people, dads and moms especially, I'm like, anybody in this room got a college student? And, you know, hands, you know, whatever. I'm like, do they still call? Do they still need you? Do they need support? You know, do they need community from you? You know, do they need to feel connected and cheered for? And anyway, so imagine somebody from a life of trauma um, if we just abandoned them at phase three. So um, a lot of organizations, their funds are geared towards uh, the rescue, the the mid-residential uh, program, whatever they, they work through during that segment, whether it's one year or three years, okay, depending on the program. Um, then, then it's like, so shoo, go off, <laughs> good luck with your hopes and dreams. And they, because they, as they want to help and continue to help, but they don't have money for that. So that's what we do. We partner with them and a lot of our financial, um, from that perspective, our finances go towards, uh, continuing to show up for these phase three survivors. If they could afford one tire and they need four, we get the others. Um, if they have a crisis come up that was unplanned for, we show up and take care of that. Um, there's a situation right now where a girl has chosen life and she's pregnant and she's married, but she's in a horrible relationship and we're going to pay for a deposit for her own apartment and we're going to pay for the first month's rent. So it doesn't derail her while she focuses on this choice for life. And we're showing up with practical things like a gift card for maternity clothes. You, you can't say that you're partnering with these people and not continue to show up when they need it. Um, their commitment to phase three is that they're drug free. That my biggest number one thing is you can't call yourself phase three and we can't consider you phase three if you're still um, addicted to drugs and using. So anyway, that's um, for anybody that might be hearing this. If you're working with a program or know someone and you can spread that um, provision information, please send them my way. Um, We work with organizations, not just in New Mexico, but um, also in other states. So that's one thing that we started doing. And then the other segment is, as I realize more and more how vulnerable in every case, um, these young girls, young boys, um, young girls in particularly, or who were called to, um, and that it, even a child that's being trafficked by a parent is vulnerable because they're a child, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So in every single story, it goes back to vulnerability. And that um, during worship, which is how God downloads so much to me, um, but during uh, worship, I started thinking that this is because 
these people are so vulnerable. So instead of only sharing stories uh, to the community, only pointing out what sex trafficking looks like and, and doing the awareness segment, how can we finally get out ahead of this? How can we finally um, get a ray of hope in this conversation? Um, because all of us who work with this population are so frustrated knowing that we're going to show up basically with an ambulance and a gurney over and over and over again to put these young people and young adults on life support emotionally as they slowly heal after it's happened. And rather, um, and I don't think I used that story in the Mama Run, Mama Run, but the river babies is a great example of a woman who's washing clothes next to the river and it begins to see and point out these babies floating in the river and, and just saying, oh, there they are and let's go help and pulling them out one baby at a time. Um, and that goes on and on. It's exhausting everybody and nothing's getting better. And someone in the group finally says, why aren't we going upstream? Why aren't we stopping it up there? And that um, another thing that just went off in my mind was that we, our heart really, is that we have to get out ahead of this. So I use the Forrest Gump um, running um, emoji often, or um, the GIF, you know, of him running. I feel like we're in the race of our lives to get to the target group that the traffickers are after. And vulnerable no more is the way that we're the tool that we're using. And what we're doing is we're exposing what traffickers do, what recruiters do, and what groomers do, what they say, how they act. Um, it's to uncover that to the very people that they're going after. And, and, and I, I mean, we could probably spend hours with you talking about those points, you know, how do we, how do we, you know, what do traffickers do? What, what do groomers do? But is there a resource where we can, um, that we can post where people can go and find the information? Um, how, how do, how do we spread the word? Oh, thank you for asking that. We um, it, even like um, on our website, it's for the one dot one. Um, if you go there, there's, years, frankly, of information, but there's also um, the choice to look and see what Vulnerable No More is doing, um, and mm -hmm. if you go in and you look through that, it actually will show you um, speaker segments. During COVID, when everybody else got creative, we were actually supposed to have our first live event September of, of mm -hmm. that year, and of course, that didn't happen, and I was pacing in my house going, okay, God, I know you said to do this, and I can't sit and watch us not do the next thing. So we recorded 10 videos, uh, and my daughter did all of our, you know, preparing it and cutting it into like around a 10-minute segment. The longest one is 20 minutes because it had to be. Um, that's uh, Know Your Enemy is the name of that segment. Um, but if you, they're all on YouTube. And if okay. you go to ForTheOne.One, um, you can actually get the links to all of that information and watch as many or as few of those videos that you care to. But what we didn't know other than I knew I had to do something is that the information that we put into these vulnerable, and they're only two hours, the vulnerable no more events, that mm -hmm. information came from the content of these specialists that came on and actually did these little segments 
for us on human trafficking. We, uh, the commander of over sex, tra- uh, sex crimes, child sex crimes online, their commander did a segment for us on there as well from the AG, the AG's office. And Anthony Mays is amazing. So that's one of the um, elements. Human trafficking 101, it's t- 10 minutes. And it's the same woman that I told you about that does that little 10-minute segment in a nutshell what does human trafficking look like right now in our um, in our country and in our state? And so the, these little bites, we then pulled into four different sessions. Um, and then one segment in the middle is, it's called From the Heart of Survivors. And it is actually um, blips and warnings, little, little like, if you see this, beware. It's them talking to their younger selves. To people that they love, we've asked them to say, if you had someone in front of you and you had to tell them something that you thought would help, what would you say? And so that's a 10-minute segment, and it closes in a letter from our um, the, the survivor I mentioned. And she actually had to change her name legally to protect she and her son because they let her trafficker go free. And she said, nobody knows him like I do. He's going to come for me. And so she had to change her, her name. But her testimony is the last story that we close with. And it's a letter she wrote to the people that come to these events. So it's just a, a great information. The whole idea is to expose what it looks like. So when those young people or the parents or grandparents of those young people are in a situation, in a room, at the table, when their kids are online, um, when they overhear a conversation, when the when the girls think some guy is interested in them who's actually grooming them for recruitment, they see it. Um, the know your enemies balance is so awesome because it talks about what traffickers do and the hook point, she calls it, where they actually, it's like fly fishing. They're actually seeing who bites, who has the vulnerability to bite that hook point, and they reel them in. So it's to get out ahead of that, that hook point. So you go, he just said that. She just said that. They told me that means this. So something can go off on the inside of them, the moms of them, the, the dads of them, the grandparents, to, to recognize what it actually is that's being said and the difference between a person who's really interested in you. Because we don't want them to be fearful. We want them to be empowered. What's the difference between a guy that's trying to date you rather than someone that's trying to exploit you? Toya, can you? I I know that you met with somebody in law enforcement yesterday, but are, is this message being disseminated in like public schools or organizations? Where um, I mean, I guess I'm I know that there's a, a a higher prevalence of sex trafficking than we think. I, you know, I heard somebody say the other day, "Oh, well, it's not a problem in New Mexico." I thought, I no. That's no, that I, and certainly you know better than I do. But um, so, the, so the, I guess my first question, if we shift gears just a tiny bit, is how how prevalent is it in your backyard, in your neighborhood, in your state? Um, okay. What do people need to know about that? Just quickly, I mean, it's not a we don't have to do an in depth, but I do want people to know this is not something that happens somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's that's actually the danger from the day I got in this is that people wouldn't even believe they were kind of where I was all those years ago when I thought it was only other countries. You know, I've been there with that whole mentality of like, how horrible for those other countries. We're doing great. You know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, the more I know, 
the, and you can't know what you don't know, you know, so I would be happy to tell you um, that it, as it's a, as horrific as it is, it is very prevalent. And it's not just because we're close to the border, although that factors into it. It's not just because we have, I don't even know what the count is now, but the massage parlors that we have in our cities, I mean, Albuquerque, New Mexico is uh, just drive down any street um, in mm-hmm. probably Santa Fe too. I, I couldn't speak mm-hmm. to that for sure. But those, if there's a massage parlor and the, and the windows are dark and they're blocked out with curtains, you need to know that something's going on there. That's not massage envy is bright. And I'm only using a name as an example. It's sure. bright. It's open. It's airy. It's those other ones. If you open the door and we've done it and you go in, it's like somebody's dark, bizarre, sketchy living room. <laughs> People live there. It's bizarre. So there's that element of sex trafficking. There are the motels. I can't even begin to tell you. I would. You could not pay me a million dollars right now to stay in a motel that has a drive-up door rather than a lobby. There's so much trafficking that occurs out of these motels. Um, and I'm not going to list any because I don't need a lawsuit. But the truth is it happens all over the homelessness, our runaway teenagers um, who, um, yes, some of them are rebellious, but so many have a reason to be that people would have called me rebellious, um, be, but I was running from something. What happened to them? You know, and so and so the other piece of it is since it's since it's prevalent, are are we is this message being given to the general public, especially to young people. So um, that's our target. That's our target. Right? And and the last, well, our first event, which again, so thrilled. We learned so much to do that, um, doing that. But that target was to roll it out. Everybody that would interview me or, you know, we did a couple of things with Channel 13. And, and then I was able to do some things on more private um Channel 32 or whatever. It's a Christian uh, spectrum TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went over to Calvary Church and did two interviews um, with Jim Williams over at KNKT. We're spreading the word about the event in a general way, and I'll continue to do that. But November 5th, our next event, which will be both live and live streamed on that night, um, is at Believer Center of Albuquerque. And our actual segment, and I have the word ask on my notebook in front of me and my ask to anyone listening uh, is to brainstorm. And I said that yesterday to the chief of police, help me brainstorm how to get this information to the population that needs to hear it. Yes. uh, Every woman, you know, 12 to a hundred is invited and anybody can watch it live stream. uh, Even though it is currently a female event. Um, anybody can live stream it. And that um, again, back to for the one dot one to get connected. But I, I asked those um, deputy sheriffs that were in the room and I asked our chief of police, I said, please, can you get me connected to, I'll talk to anybody. I'll do whatever I need to do to try to create a relationship and explain to them what we're doing to get it to that population that is so at risk and to the moms, grandparents, fathers that need to hear it so they know what they're seeing and understand what it is. They know what the identifiers are to look for because it happens in neighborhoods. It's happening out of houses. It's not just a seedy motel. It it is happening all over the place. And I'm not like... um, the sky is falling. It, it's not me. It's all these years of it is happening everywhere. And guess what? Even though sex trafficking is our calling and our lane to address, 
this is going to fold in. These girls um, and eventually boys who are being controlled by narcissistic boyfriends, domestic violence will be affected by this. It's not just, let's say, if, and I couldn't tell you honestly because it's so underreported. You can't believe any of the statistics you're hearing because so many go unreported because nobody knows what they're looking at. Um, if you bled in maybe half of the domestic violence numbers um, with actual reported sex trafficking numbers, you might get a little bit closer because a lot of uh, people, law enforcement, see it as domestic violence. So we're going um, we're gonna to get to those teenagers to build tenacity and strength and a voice to use on their own to fight to combat all of those scenarios that they stop allowing through that vulnerability because I wasn't trafficked I if they if trafficking had been a huge thing back then um, that would have happened to me uh, my abuse was through self-consumption so in my home I was sexually abused um, in every scenario I found myself in I was drugged and, and self-consumed by whoever that was. If they sold girls back then like they do now, that would have been me. So every one of the girls and boys who ever hear this, it, it they may not ever have been or become targets of trafficking. But there are people looking for those vulnerabilities to come in and control them um, and get them to be less than the what God has called them to be. So we need schools. We need CYFD. I'm trying to get it. Well, I've actually had a phone meeting with the Reintegration Center in Albuquerque. I'm trying to think of everywhere, the detention center, uh, which is honestly not where these young girls should be and these young boys should be. And New Mexico Dream Center is actually opening a home, a recovery program a residential home for finally for minors. But I, I, everywhere these young people are, I need your community of listeners to help me get the word to them so we can either have them watching because the detention center is not going to load up a bus and bring them to the next event. Mm -hmm. But they can sure do it, throw a like a watch party or a live stream event where they get the information still. Um, so we, we hope to, God's not going to waste a minute. We hope to affect the numbers of sex trafficking in the future. We also hope that we can instill um, different these different segments. And by the way, the last segment is called Proceed with Caution. And it is, the whole segment is on how to use your voice. Your power is your voice. You have a decision along the way to be controlled by a person or control your situation by your actions when you have that opportunity before it's too late and you find yourself in the middle of it. So this isn't just about anti-sex trafficking just to prevent sex trafficking. It is absolutely to pour this information, to, to get people as a whole to be vulnerable no more. Adults not to be vulnerable um, because they don't have the information they need and these young adults and young children so they won't become uh, exploited or used for the purpose of whatever this predator is trying to do in their life. You know, there's many of you don't have sex trafficking experiences or things that have happened to you. But you do have somebody in your family that's had a narcissistic or an abusive boyfriend, or you are the wife of an abusive male um, or female. Mm -hmm. These types of events where, where you're, you're building on the layers of your God-given strengths and, and using those things to fight those um, attacks in your life, that's what we're targeting. So vulnerable no more to change the numbers for sex trafficking. Vulnerable no more for our communities to stop being vulnerable to controlling people and predators in your life. 
I got to tell you, I, I was just sitting here thinking, usually at the end of a podcast, there's a way that I, you know, we sort of wrap everything up. And I think, no, there's not, you, you've given us, uh, I, you know, jump right in here at any minute, but you've given us such a powerful message that all I want to say is um, we're in and we'll, we'll publicize this because it's so important. I mean, I, I was in one of those marriages, so I understand what you're saying. It is, um, and Johanna and I talked about it last night that you, you know, why, why, why did I choose to be in a relationship with somebody who, who felt free to abuse me? Well, it's, we're all survivors, but we want more survivors and less victims. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Your, your so we want to help you. Yes. I love, I love that what God did and is what he's done in my life and with my family is that your legacy is changed. And mm -hmm. the baby on the monitor, that future for that is changed. Nothing will be the same from generation to generation because we're like, no, not one more mm -hmm. person, not my mm -hmm. family. The enemy's not going to attack us for one more second. We are turning this around. And, and these are all ways, your, this podcast, your book, these are all ways we can pour our stories to help out to help the next people uh, or those people who will hear it and, and celebrate the recovery and the victory we have in our own lives. I'm so grateful to God. I'm so grateful for your story, for mine, um, that he was able to do that. And he is. You know, I'm so healed. I'm so recovered from all those things that happened to me. And I know you have your story also of freedom. Right, right, right. right. And and we're all about gratitude here. I'm so grateful. You, I, I want it. I want to ask you if you'll come back again, uh, maybe after the November 5th event, and we talk a little bit more about empowering more people in the mm -hmm. ways that you're doing it. And and I'm. I, I just can't tell you how grateful I am that you chose to spend an hour with us to change the world. Mm, I love <laughs> the opportunity. For one. God's good. For one. Yeah, For the one I in mean, front of you. Yeah. We, yeah. Not 32 million. We can't fix 32 million cases of sex trafficking. But I'm all about getting to the people we can help. And March, March 4th. Citizen Church is hosting us, and I do intend to do a male and female uh, event at that gathering. So we that will be an opportunity for our men and our boys, uh, 12 and older, to show up at the event. Um, and my speaker for the males will start in the um, sanctuary together. We'll split out into a session uh, separate, and the founder of Defenders which is the men's group against sex trafficking will speak to our males while we do our, our vulnerable, no more segment. So I thought I better throw that out there before my daughter gives me a big talking to about not mentioning well, that. But we'll also, Johanna will post all of the resources, all of the links will, um, I mean, we're going to let people know what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank and this you. will connect me. Y'all help me get connected. We Your will. Listeners help me get connected to these people that need to hear it. All right. Thank you. Toya, thank, thank you. you so much. All right. Oh, we'll great. talk again. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for joining us today on Life Saving Gratitude. Please support us by subscribing wherever you're listening now, by giving us a five star rating and a review, and please share Life Saving Gratitude with all your friends. 
We're here to share our stories and hopefully help others. You can find Life Saving Gratitude on Instagram at Life Saving Gratitude Pod and at BunnyTerry.com slash podcast. Thanks again, everybody.